This is Joseph Gervasi. I'm here with Leora Colby. It is March 16th, 2013. Uh, we are conducting this interview in the backseat of a car, uh, and this is part of Loud Fast Philly. Hello, Leora. Hello, Joseph. Hi. Uh, so, uh, why don't you tell me what year you were born and where you were born? Uh, I was born in New Jersey, 1979. Uh, grew up in New Jersey. What part of Jersey? Uh, Central Jersey, often forgotten part of Jersey. <laughs> yes. It's more than just north and south, but uh, near the northern part of Central Jersey. Uh, suburbs of New York. So, growing up, my scene was New York, mm -hmm. um, with a great influence from New York. Um, yeah. <laughs> right, so young you, um, prior to finding punk, uh, what were your interests? What, what was your scene? Um, well, I see. I got into punk pretty early, around 12 or 13. Um, but leading up to that, I was you know, a product of the 80s. So mm -hmm. Cyndi Lauper and, and Madonna and those types of uh, new wave influences were really strong mm -hmm. um, growing up. And as a child in grade school, I would dress up as a, like a new wave punk for right. Halloween. Um, knowing that there was something there that was attractive to me, just couldn't figure out exactly what it was at you know such an early age. Mm -hmm. um, but around 12 or 13, I started to get into the alternative stuff, um, which was popular in the 90s, you know, the Rage Against the Machine and Jane's Addiction, um, and met, <laughs> met a very interesting person who... You might have spoken with uh, Greg Daly. Mm -hmm. I do know that guy. I haven't spoken to him yet. Actually, I should interview him. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, Greg's great. Well, I met him at a mall in New Jersey um, when I was, like I said, around 12 or 13. How old was he? Uh, I don't really... 15? Okay, so you, you were you know, of the same age, basically. Yeah. Right. Um, and uh, I saw him across the, the, the food court, and him and his friends were dressed very strange, which was attracted to me because, you know, they stood out and talked to them and ended up stalking him in a, in a weird way. I don't know if that's a story you want to get into. Uh, uh, well, I mean, <laughs> if you'd like to say something about it. Well, uh, he was from the same town as my cousin, so I never got more than a name from him at that meeting in the mall. Um, but I hit up my cousin, and I said, did you know this guy? And she mm -hmm. said, yeah. So I looked in the, you know, this is back in the day when Yellow Pages actually had right. people's phone numbers in it. So I went in there, and I looked up every Greg Daly in the Westfield area and called until I found him, and made a date to hang out and he gave me a stack of cds with dead kennedys and guar and mm -hmm. all this stuff and so that's the first time hearing all those that bands. really turned me on because yeah. from what i was exposed to was all stuff on the surface you know mm -hmm. the stuff that had become popular but as far as things that were just a little bit deeper underground that was really my first um eye-opening experience to, to that stuff and then hanging out with him and going to basement shows in west philly or, i'm sorry not west philly westfield new mm -hmm. jersey and then um, New Brunswick and that area, and then starting to meet some people, um, Blank 77, those kinds of guys, right. just started hanging out with those folks. And uh, that's my teenage years. <laughs> so I guess there's a point it. you were probably going into New York then, uh, you know, when you got a little bit older. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. like around 14 or so, 15, I started going into New York with friends and groups and hanging out in St. Mark's and drinking 40s with my spiky hair and the bondage pants. Right, right. <laughs> um, was hanging out with the casualties and friends with disassociate at the time and my old band put together a split seven inch with distraught so we were like really what was the name of your old band oh false doom right, okay false doom yes uh circa 98 to 2000 mm -hmm. 
we were uh, pretty influential, I think. Uh, that's something I didn't realize until 12 years later when people started begging us for, for something, more music or reunion or a show, and then we realized wow, some people still do care. Right. <laughs> 12 years later, our, our words meant something. What all did you record at the time? Um, we started with a 7-inch that we put out ourselves, uh, which was a, called Desensitized. Uh, we did about a thousand of those. Those sold pretty well, actually. It sold a lot in Japan. The Japanese <laughs> love yes. American punk, um, especially in the '90s. You know, uh, some Tom and Boot Boys were doing their 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 version of punk rock, and it was really entertaining. <laughs> um, and uh, so we did that, and then sh about a year later, in '99, we did a split seven-inch with Distraught, um, which featured members of bands that had been around for a while as well. So um, that was a great experience. We were really uh, embraced. We were very young. Um, mm -hmm. I was the oldest in the group when we were performing. Um, I was 18, and the youngest was a guitar player, Simon, who was about 13 at right. the time. Could he actually even play the guitar? Oh, brilliant. Brilliant, actually. Uh, mm -hmm. I, would, I would almost call him a prodigy. He actually would spend summers uh, at Berkeley in New England, mm -hmm. the music school. In, in, yeah, Massachusetts. Yeah. yeah. and. Man, was he was he good at it? Right. Definitely. Um, so you sang? For the yeah, band? I was a, I was a vocalist. I don't know vocalist. if I actually right. Yes, <laughs> sing might be a bit of a stretch in most punk bands. Yeah, it was a little too generous there. Right. Um, yeah, we and we were uh, when I first got into the music, it was definitely uh, the beer and the spiky hair, street punk stuff. But that got even at the ripe age of, of eighteen, it got mm -hmm. old. It yeah. got old quick. Um, it's kind of exhausting, right? Well, yeah, and there's no value. Mm -hmm. You know, like, at the end of the day, what have you accomplished? Oh, I got wasted, and I managed to get home, so that's a success. Yeah, yeah. sometimes that seems kind of like being a frat boy. Like, yeah. it's the same thing. Like, you're just getting fucked up, and then that's it. There's yeah, there's no nothing substance. to show for yeah. it. Um, so that's, we started getting, I started getting more into the political music, um, you know, like Crass and, and Conflict and all those influences. And then, uh, and even locally, like, Al Rotten was a huge, huge influence for me, um, and then building a relationship with those guys and playing together was really a, an important influence um, in my early years. Uh, but when we started getting more political, um, I felt like we were definitely uh, got a, got more attention and people listened to us. And I've I, I heard a lot of praise, and especially from uh, young girls mm -hmm. who uh, would compliment me for giving them courage or. Uh, insight or inspiration and that for me carried more weight and wealth than mm -hmm. than any record i could have sold right. <laughs> you know just being able to influence someone to to be strong and you know either you know walk away from a situation that was unhealthy or walk into something that was mm -hmm. productive and meaningful <laughs> have you seen more women come into into punk uh, over the years that you've been involved um Women is it's strange because it does seem like a boys' club often. Um, maybe because it's a, it it's overall appears to be a very aggressive community. Mm -hmm. um, when you when you're an outsider looking in a, at a show and you see like all the chaos that ensues, it can be very intimidating for women. Um, you see them come and go oftentimes as girlfriends, uh, but the ones who stick around and become active. Because you can't just be a passive member of of the community, right. um, and then especially as a as a woman, I don't I don't know if 
if it's necessarily true, but as I perceive it, um, to, to really gain or build respect, you have to be a player. Otherwise, you're just a girlfriend. Mm-hmm, right. Uh, so it seems like there's a little more to prove, you think? Um, sometimes. And sometimes in some circles, I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so when you, when you were coming into the, the, the peace punk sort of bands and a crass and um, a conflict and things like that, you know, these bands had been there and gone for quite some time at that point. So what do you think... What were they saying to you at the time, and, and how did you feel that it was still in some way valid in, I, I'm thinking, what is this, like the late 90s? Late 90s, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, obviously the politics are, are different, but they're not. You know, you know the names have changed, but, but the, the, their actions are always the same. Um, so there's always that you can relate to, um, you know, the struggles of dealing with, with political tyranny. Uh, but as far as like, uh, community, things like that, uh, family, uh, punk being a family and being a community and, um, accepting of outsiders and, you know, our own little, uh, support system where you can sustain successfully, um, whether a DIY lifestyle or, um, you know, veganism or naturalism or whatever unpopular ideas that you want to embrace there's a community that supports you and uh i feel like that transcends any that's a message that that, that's timeless Mm -hmm. um and that's what i feel like the strongest draw to punk rock um was that and and, and crafts was very uh community you know they had their uh their the co-op house yeah yeah yeah, Mm -hmm. the compound or the commune um and that's you know like that whole family atmosphere and that unity was is you know, like that's like I said, transcends all generations, mm-hmm. especially for kids who don't know where to go. It's, right. it's nice to have a family that'll embrace you, especially if you're a little weird. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so, how is it that you came to Philadelphia, and when? Um, well, Falsa Doom was actually doing fairly well. We were in the process of recording our, our first full-length LP and trying to book a tour um, for a bunch of teenagers. It was a very exciting time. Mm-hmm. Um, I got tied up in some personal issues. I got pregnant and decided that I wanted to follow through with that and become a mother. So, um, I had to abandon the band to do the responsible thing. And living in New York is, you know, expensive as it is on your own. And then try to raise a family. It's just, you know, not on a record store salary by any means. Right, right. Were you working in a record store? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And what year is this about? Uh, this was 99, 2000. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so my partner and I decided he had friends here in Philly and I never actually had a, had been a big fan of Philly. Um, oh. and this goes, Oh, now you kill me in the well, backseat of the car. Well, this goes, <laughs> this goes back to a very strange feud and I don't know. I mean, I wasn't necessarily caught in the middle of it, but I did have an alliance Yeah, being friends. I was dating Jorge from the casualties, uh, in the, in, from like 97 to 99, uh, and in the night, in the mid '90s, there was this whole "This sucks" had this campaign: save a hairspray, kill a casualty, mm-hmm. and they had patches and flyers, and they kind of, I don't know, made made a very unwelcome feeling right. for the spiky hair street punks from New York. And having a relationship with that with that side, there was mm-hmm. an alliance, and then so I never really was fond of Philly because I never felt like it was a welcome place um, for me and in the group that I was with. But uh, my partner 
had gone to college with some friends from Philly, and he had spent some time in Stalag, and he absolutely fell in love with Philly, mm-hmm. and said, well, you know, I've got friends here, you know, we can, it wouldn't be a fresh start necessarily, because we already have a support, so we came down here, and bought a house in South Philly, and tried to do the family thing, and, and that was for about six years, my daughter's first six years of her life, I was full-time mom, um, not necessarily completely 100% abandoning punk rock, but my role as a nurturer was focused on my daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, but when she got, uh, her father and I had some marital issues, so that didn't work out. So when she was around six, we split up, and I moved back into a punk house. And that's with, when with her? I got, uh, well, she, we were part-time sharing, mm-hmm. so she uh, spent half the week with her dad and half the week at, with me. Um, I felt like she was old enough at that point to not be negatively influenced by the Bay environment because it was it wasn't like a punk house like halfway house where right. <laughs> where it was like you know it was it was in in vain of like the some of the really nice squats in New York where like everyone was responsible and, and actually mm-hmm. kept their night house was it an actual squat or was it a no it was house? A, it was a house it was okay. might as well have been a squat it was a slumlord did not take care of the house very right. well. Um, but it was all good punks. Uh, Tony Dissucks uh, was living with me uh, at the house, and it was across the street from Disgraceland. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a perfect opportunity to jump right back into it. Uh, so, so living there and, and and becoming infused again into the punk subculture and really reaching out to the Philadelphia community, um, I was fully embraced. Everyone remembered who I was from back in the day, so it was kind of like an instant acceptance. Because, like I said, you know, sometimes it's hard for women to prove themselves in a a community, but having had a little bit of a legacy at some point, it was Mm -hmm. definitely a gateway into into the scene here in Philly. And so my my nurturing nature, uh, I was able to actually divide it. Um, and put back into the into the community that raised me, mm. and and with a, with a daughter of my own, uh, and, and seeing how smart and, and rebellious as she is in her own ways, uh, I realized it was really important for me to to help continue to nurture this community because not only was it, you know, other kids that are getting involved, but it was my own, and I wanted to make sure that she has like you know a, a strong punk community to grow up in because that's made me who I am mm-hmm. and I definitely wouldn't do it any other way. Has she expressed an interest in punk? Yeah, she oh. plays guitar. And she's, she's what, 12? Or she's she's going to be 13 in May. Okay. Yeah, she plays guitar. She's been playing for a few years now. And uh she's been to a bunch of shows. Oh, that's, that's actually her right now. She's um she's been to a bunch of punk shows. She's she's a big fan of the Bad Doctors. I don't, I don't know what that band is. Oh, it's a it's a local Philly band. They're kind of a diva worship. Okay. Uh like new wave post-punk kind of stuff. Great band. She loves them. She likes No Stayer. Uh they're like rock like new wave British heavy metal kind of stuff. Okay. So, um she's into the, some of the local bands. I think she she's a little ahead of her peers as far as that's concerned. So, she uh <laughs> well she's got mom's killer record collection access <laughs> yeah, so that, yeah. that's pretty uh, significant yes <laughs> do, do, if you need to answer it i can pause. okay it's it's fine um you haven't anything else i've lost track <laughs> oh no that's fine so um 
there's certainly some negative aspects to punk. I mean, there's certainly been like, is, there's issues of addiction and so forth that kind of move through the community. And, and I'm sure you've kind of witnessed people that you were close to who were taken out in one way or another by these things. Um, so I guess I would ask, how, how has, it kind of, has it affected you? And then in bringing your daughter into this world, how do you maneuver her through, you know, some of these more negative parts of the scene? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> I feel like being honest and with everything and not sugarcoating anything and not fluffing it and you know softening any of the the edges on on the reality of human nature because it's not exclusive to the punk scene you know you've got alcoholics all over the place mm -hmm. and you know you've yeah, sure. got drug addicts and you know it's sports athletes superstars you know uh, famous pop star musicians have you know issues as well so it's not exclusive but having, I feel like having a hands-on um, exposure to some of the mistakes that people can make uh, should be eye-opening enough to, to realize that maybe that's not the best decisions to make. I mean, she, she's expressed to me that she feels that drinking is dumb from, from having seen, like, I've had a roommate who was so whiskey drunk, he fell down the stairs, broke his neck, and was in the ER for weeks. Jeez. And she, you know, she, she knows that story. She, we told, explained, she's, there's no, every detail she's aware of. And, you yeah. know, so like having a firsthand experience, it's not just, you know, tabloid news, you know, so-and-so got found with the cocaine on their face. It's like, oh my God, this guy that I, you know, play cards with, mm -hmm. you know, while mom's right. making dinner, right. broke his neck because he got too drunk. So it's mm -hmm. a, it's a very realistic exposure. And, and I feel like, uh, it gives her the tools to make better decisions. Right, right. Uh, so having uh, you having moved through punk uh, and continuing to, uh, which you know has a fair some some elements have a fairly nihilistic element to it, or at least a fairly dark view of the future. When you decided to bring a child into the world, how much of a concern was it of the world that she would ultimately inherit? <laughs> that's a good. That's another good question because her uh, her father and I actually had very opposite views on this very topic. He believed what, what you're implying is that in this world that's as shitty as it can be, why would you want to bring in another life? Um, but when when the band broke up and I actually did an interview um, and, and the interviewer asked me, you know, do you regret having to split up the band? And I said, well, when I started a punk band, I thought I could change the world. You know, when you're a teenager, you have these ideals. You're like, I could change this world. And I told him, I said, now that I'm having a child, I know that I can change the world. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a very different responsibility. I mean, I can get up on stage and influence any number of people. And then there's any number of people who won't even listen to what I'm saying. But I have this individual who I have the power to educate properly. And she can therefore pay it forward and expand her community and her peers. I mean, if you, if you, if you look back to s some of the punks that started in the early 80s and what they're doing now, like, it's changed their perspective in a way that they can actually influence their community. So it's that same effect where I have this influence on an individual who can therefore take that perspective and, 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 and ideas and you know, of community and family and do, 
do it yourself and no holds back and nothing holding you back you know and you can't blame anyone else and, and all these ideas of empowerment and and put it into someone who's who has to listen to everything i say mm-hmm. you know she's my child i'm her mom and i'm always right but now she can take those ideas those punk rock ideas from the very beginning and not starting at like 15 like so many of us but actually taking those punk ideas from the very beginning and and, and using those ideas to influence her decisions in life that that will have a ripple effect mm-hmm. I think way greater than me singing to, you know, a group of kids who you're either too drunk to care or whatever the case right. may be. Because you're planting a seed in her from the very earliest age, as you can see the seed kind of yes. grow. Yeah. And like I said, the ripple effect, you know, she's she's had influences on her friends and her peers in a way where, you know, she's opened them to other music and, and things and other ideas and, and food, <laughs> raising her vegetarian. She's gotten a lot of criticism from her peers, but... Uh, She's more healthy and well-rounded and open-minded about food choices than than any average twelve-year-old who lives on chicken nuggets and French fries. Right? Yeah, they're not looking <laughs> that good for that that the diet that they're exactly. eating. Exactly. Right? So I feel like, but this is all stuff that I, you know, I brought back from punk with me, you know, respecting your body and and, and all that stuff. So you know, being able to pass it on to someone who's going to be able to, like I said, ripple effect and, and influence the people around her. Um, on a larger scale and, and get a head start on that. <laughs> how do you think that you're uh, treated or uh, how do the other parents react to you when you need to go into her school and, and you know, move through that world? Um, surprisingly good. Surprisingly good relationships. Uh, her teachers... I, I think having a relationship with her first and... and I'm not saying she's better than everyone else, but she she's she's, you can say it if you she's, want a, to. she's a smart mother. kid. Right, right. She's a smart kid, and like I said, being honest from the beginning, and and you know, not lying, because a lot of parents do that. A lot mm. of parents lie to their kids. I mean, my mom, my mom did it to me. She never explained why you don't do drugs. She just said, "Don't do it." Yeah. But that honesty makes a big difference because you're making smart decisions that you're th- you've thought out. Right. And so her interactions with other people, the teachers, and other parents shows that she does think. Um, and she uses her brain and she does make responsible decisions. And so having that relationship first and then meeting me, I feel like it justifies it. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, well, you know, she's if she was a bad kid, they'd be like, oh, yeah. stupid punk mom. Of course, <laughs> right. raising a bad kid. But it's it's got, you know, an extreme opposite effect. We're like, oh, well, <laughs> that's why she's so enlightened, because, you know, she's got an open minded family that she's raised in. So, mm-hmm. um yeah, I mean, I guess it could go both ways, but how she carries herself definitely helps raise the bar. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you opened a record store uh, recently, Sit and Spin Records. Um, so what was it? How did you decide to go about doing that? Um, <clears throat> when Tulsa Doom f- first started, uh, we had a lot of support from our peers, uh, from other bands, getting us gigs and stuff. But when it came time to recording and putting out a record, we we weren't getting support. Uh, nobody wanted to take a chance on a bunch of teenagers who just started. Yeah. And so, you know, I had a job, I had some money, so I put the record out myself, and I started my own label, and we put mm-hmm. out two records, and then the whole baby thing happened, so I had to put that aside. Um, but having started my own record label as a teenager and working in a record store for years as a teenager, that part of me was on hold. I knew it wasn't gone, mm-hmm. but I knew it was on hold. So when I was raising my daughter and stuff, I... I pursued a, a separate career um, as an artist, uh, making cakes, pastry artist, uh, 
when I met my current partner, Colin, yeah, he was just, he had started a band. And, and with the same humble beginnings as my label, you know, he needed to put out his own record. Mm -hmm. So he did that. And through my experiences, I was able to support him because, oh, I've done this. You know, <laughs> I did this. We know how to do this. I can help you. And it was kind of a little spark. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the fire was there, but I needed a little something to ignite it back up again. So supporting him through the beginning of his label um, was great. And it reminded me how much I, I really wanted to be a part of, of the scene again on that level, um, being a nurturer of the music. So um, he asked me to help him. So we started building the label into a distro. And then um, as we were going to shows with our distro which was mostly built on trade with other bands, mm -hmm. um, we saw that the kids were eating it up. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, like we were carrying stuff that they wanted that they couldn't get in any other record stores around here. And uh, record conventions and stuff. And then we started ordering new releases from, like, new reissues from uh, distros and other labels that were putting out stuff because, a lot, like I said, the, these record stores around here weren't carrying the stuff. And uh, after a few years of doing that, we decided like this. There's there's a, clearly a demand for pump mm -hmm. support in, yeah. in this in this city. It's a huge community right now. Um, so we we started shopping around. We spent about two years shopping around for the perfect location. Uh, our friend who was working at the head shop that had been um, in this spot for about two years decided he was gonna buy the business from the previous owner and to cut on expenses he invited us to share the space and share the rent and it was that was the perfect opportunity we were waiting for him great corner location right in the heart of south philly um yeah so i should point out that there's like unicorn bongs and stuff in the, <laughs> in the back of the store well you know we have common interests <laughs> uh -huh. we could leave it at that but yeah um yeah so 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 far we, yeah, we opened january 8th 2013 so it's it's fairly new but uh after uh, the label started in 2008, so I feel like our, our reputation as a record label and distro has been working hard for several years now. Mm -hmm. So for us to be successful right off the bat, it wasn't wasn't a fluke. Right. <laughs> you know, we definitely worked for it. Did you, I mean, you, I guess you had to become much more sort of enmeshed in the Philly system in order to do this in, in so much as, you know, uh, L&I or, you know, taxes and like all of the kind of infrastructure that kind of comes with being an actual legitimate business rather than like, you know, a bunch of crates that you carry yeah. around. So how was it, you know, coming through a punk perspective to deal with a much more regimented uh, world like that? Uh... Yeah, you know, it's really wasn't that bad. Okay, <laughs> record, records. I mean, I, I've worked in the food industry. Like I said, I was a pastry chef for for several years. <coughs> Excuse me. It's so coming from the food industry. Um, then there's board of health issues and L and I issues and payroll because you need a huge staff. Uh, f for Colin and I, it's a retail spot. Is really uh, you know we we threw up the couple extra hundred dollars to get an accountant to take care of all that stuff. Yeah. I don't. I don't claim to be uh, a whiz with taxes, and I mm -hmm. definitely don't want Uncle Sam breathing down my neck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, that's what's so attractive about Philly to me is that those opportunities are here. For, the, for, for an average person who has a dream, um, there is a way to be independent. You, know, mm. you can really do it yourself. You can really live the DIY dream here. Um, there's so many great individuals doing something in this city and like 
I feel like it wouldn't necessarily, there's not very many East Coast cities where that's achievable. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, because <laughs> the, the cost is so prohibitively expensive, or there isn't a self-supporting community exactly. you know, in place. Yeah, right. yeah, I mean, I'm also one of the co-organizers for the Philly Punks Picnic, which is our annual punk festival that we, uh, which is rooted mostly in the DIY scene. We don't pretend to be a, a big chaos and chaos kind of fest. It's, mm-hmm. it's really just a party a glorified party for the punks um but after working with that for several years it to see like for man like in 2008 is when i started getting involved with the fest and it's it's gone from like just a couple hundred to 500 or more people coming Mm -hmm. from all around the area to philly to see what we have and you know what bands are playing here and to really support our scene and and it's it just proves that there's a huge community here, you know, and, the, and they might not be at all the shows all the time, but they're there. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, they all shop for records. That's good for you <laughs> and for everybody. So I mean, I'll ask you, you know, 40 years on, if punk's been around for just about that long, why do you think it is that young people keep coming into this thing that at this point, you know, their parents or even, you know, beyond that could have been into initially? Um, what is its appeal, you know, in 2013 to young people? I think I think the freedom to express yourself I think is is really what it is at the core of it to to feel safe from judgment there's a lot of uh social restrictions in in the popular community the uh, popular scene um where you're not really allowed to express anything that's you know outside of their structure Feeling weird, feeling like a misfit, feeling a little different, that's very normal. It's a very normal teenage feeling. Um, and it's a shame that it's, it's, a, it's, in, it's suppressed. You know, uh, punk embraces that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the, overall that's what's going to attract people. The fact that, you know, anyone can be a rock star for that night. Right. You know, anyone can put a band together. And if you work hard enough, you know, you can be you could be worshipped within your own little group of, you know, 300 friends or or fans, you know, and you can have a tour and you can have this independent rock star life that doesn't have to be, you know, tour buses and and stadiums, you know, it's very real with with real people and and, and relationships that you build along the way. Uh, Those things are priceless, the family, the community and, and the accessibility and being part of a community that's accepting of uh, and then Philly's great at so good at that of being diverse oh, yeah. so good at it um, there's there's really no limits to what you can do like you can be into everything and and have a band that spans all the different genres and you'll get support from our community and that's attractive it's yeah. very attractive you know so usually when i when i sum these things up i tend to ask the person how the diy ethos is going to move through their life but in talking to you clearly it permeates all aspects of your life um so it's almost as if the question is answered by everything that you've said so far <laughs> but do you, is there anything that you want to say about that ethos and how it's kind of brought you to this point in your life uh, I, I feel like it's going to get redundant. <laughs> because, like I said, the family and the community, uh, the, the friends and the support, and it's not even just friends, it's just acquaintances and, and people who, who reach out and they, they want information, they want to know. 
to be able to to provide that you know to be able to, to provide music and, and knowledge you know uh, sharing artists sharing people giving people opportunities to um, ex express their their talents and their skills because I, they, I try to organize like arts fairs and other events and, and try to encompass all forms of DIY whether it's you know DIY chefs mm -hmm. or uh, you know painters or photographers you know we're all part of the same community so I feel like what's most important to me is just supporting and nurturing and keeping those ideas of like respect and an expression all that stuff keeping that pure and letting people you know not be judged letting right. people do what they want to do that's going to be productive, you know. <laughs> I'm not I'm not trying to encourage destruction by any means, right, right. you know. But but to be a part of a productive part of this community, I feel like is what's going to keep it alive and keep it strong throughout all these years, and that's what's kept it alive in me. Fantastic! <laughs> right, it's been great to talk to you. Thank you so much for for doing this thing. Thank with me. you very much. Right.